Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. If you were Satan and you wanted to bring down a life, if you wanted to bring down a culture, if you wanted to destroy a nation, destroy a people, destroy humanity, what would be the central place you'd attack? I think without question it would be the home, the family. It's the first institution God gave to us. Every major institution all comes from marriage and the family. So Satan knows if somehow I can destroy marriage. The truth is marriage as God designed it is under siege in our culture. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Destroying the Family, and offers proven truth to help you defend marriage from the attacks of the enemy and our culture. You'll be strengthened and encouraged by his words, so stay right there. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Destroying the Family. We've been studying evil And we've discovered, if you have listened carefully, that evil is not a problem. Evil is not a problem. Evil is the problem, the problem. And we know that Slewfoot, the devil, has taken evil and packaged it, perfumed it, and now gift-wrapped it and puts a ribbon around it. Because if evil would just walk up in that red suit with that pitchfork and with those horns, we'd say, look out for that guy. But he comes with softness, with gentleness, with rational-type humanistic thinking. And that's the reason evil is so deadly and so destructive. And the reason so many of us consistently buy into that agenda. I'm going to ask you to stand again, if you would. The reason I'm asking you to stand is because I'm going to read words that are very, very familiar to most of us. And when I hear things that are familiar, I have a way of shifting my mind into neutral. And you probably have the same tendency. And because these words are familiar, I want us to stand and sort of be alert to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and saying to me. We're going back to Genesis. Genesis 1, you have five good, 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 good. God commenting on his creation, there are five good, 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 good. Then he says the sixth time, it is very good, the creation of human beings in the image of God, man in the image of God. The Lord God, the creator said, that that's extraordinary, that's over the top good. 
And then you come all the way to the second chapter of Genesis. You run head on into the first not good. Good, 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 very good. Not good. And you back up and say, what is this? It is not good for man to be alone. And then God gives his definition for marriage. And I want you to see as I read these words that God took woman from Adam, woman for Adam, woman given to Adam, woman named by Adam. And this is not such a gender thing, I don't believe, but it's exceedingly important. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him, no companion. You can have a dog. A dog has personality. Dog can be your friend. You can be the dog's friend. You can have fun together. You can relate together. But because you and I are made in the image of God, we always have to go down to the level of the dog in those relationships. The dog can never be brought up to our level because the dog was not created in the image of God. Only human beings were created in the image of God. See the difference? And now we see this happening. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept, and then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, Eureka! <laughs> no. I found it. He said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because... She was taken out of man. Little child looks in the sky. You've done this maybe with your children and sees a half moon. And you ask, what is most like a half moon? They may say, oh, half of a basketball. Well, that's good. Half of an orange. That's good. But what is... Like a half moon, the other half of the moon. Not going too fast, am I? <laughs> Man, woman, the other half, completion. And then God performed that first marriage right there in the garden. Leave everybody else. The other half of me, we're together. Leave, cleave. Oh, hold on to one another. Super glue, hang in there. Cleave. Sickness and health, poverty and wealth. When you're happy and when you're sad, cleave. Leave, cleave. One flesh, intimacy. 
No shame. We talk about in marital counseling, you're joined body, soul, and spirit. Body together. Physicalist. Soul, interest, personality, what motivates you, what you like, what you dislike. Soul, spirit, the spiritual union. Both were in Christ, God's plan, God's design, God's formula for marriage. One man, one woman for life. Then we see what happens when marriage gets confused. Romans chapter number one, verse 24 following. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them over to the degrading passions for their women exchange the natural function for which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, to do that which is evil. Will you stand where you are and close your eyes and look up and pray with me? Father, we come here today not as sinless people speaking to sinners, but we come as sinners. Understanding that judgment and grace is always the package of your love. Lord, help us. Help me, this worshiping congregation, always those who are in Christ to speak the truth and love. Lord, now you speak. Let me get out of the way is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This past Wednesday, the regular programming was interrupted because a dramatic story came out of the Red Gulch River Canyon in Kentucky. A man had gone to sleep in a hammock, middle of the day. He was camping out with three other friends from Ohio, and he slept for about an hour, and when he Awakened, he was sleepwalking, and he walked over after a period of stumbling around, he walked over a 60-foot cliff. Now, you don't live from that fall. But he was saved by a tree that was growing out of the side of the mountain, knocked unconscious, 
His friends now call for help. Three hours for the rescuers to get there, an hour to rappel down to where he was in the tree, an hour to put in a basket and bring him back to safety. And as he was coming back to safety, he said to his rescuers, you'll never have to come and rescue me again because I'll never put myself in this position for this to happen again. Now, we've all said that, haven't we? We, we, We've fallen. You know, I'll never put myself back in a position for this to happen again. Now, that, that dramatic story has many, many, many interesting aspects to it, does it not? What were those friends doing? They saw him staggering around, went over a period of time. Didn't one of them say, Hey, Ryan, hey, buddy, be careful. Does that work? Did they didn't understand? Did they not care? Were they distracted? I don't know. I don't know. I I guess they were like uh, when God asked Cain, uh, you know, where's Adam? He said, am I my brother's keeper? How many times have we seen people, friends, family, relatives, even close people, are, and we see they're, they're walking over a cliff with their lifestyle, with what they're doing, and we don't say, hey, wait. No, no we say, no, I, I don't want to get involved. You know, I, I don't want to be out of, you know, seem like I, I don't understand. I, I don't want to seem like I'm bigoted. I don't seem like I'm prejudiced. I don't seem like, I, you know, we just let them and we see them over the side of the cliff. The guy went over the side of the cliff who, who was saved by that little tree. He said, you know, he, he thought when he hit the ground, he'd be dead. He was amazed. Clean on that tree, now conscious. <laughs> Can you imagine why the rescuers came? This is the culture in which we live, ladies and gentlemen. The tectonic plates under the earth, when they move, earthquakes happen. Seismic events happen. Check me out, but you'll see that literally dozens and dozens of earthquakes happens every day around the world. Did you know that? All different degrees. Every day. Check it out. Somebody showed me that. I, I was astounded. In the day and age in which we, you, we live, all these basics upon which you have stood are being totally rearranged. We live in a new culture. Plato said that a fish who spends all of its life in the water never knows what it means to be wet. If you were born after 1980, you have one view of culture, and those of us who were born before 1980 have another view. You see, we who were born before 1980 have some semblance of an America, of a world based on biblical principles. We have some semblance of that in our experience and our recollection. But those who born after that really have no personal relationship with that during the culture as a whole. And therefore, We're the last generation who can point to a day 
and a moment when God's words and God's principles were honored and understood, they formed and were the background and the basis of all of our documents, the Constitution, the bylaws, and how we function as a nation. Some of us have come up in some sort of that. Beginning with the 60s were those violent days of turning everything that was right upside down. You have this continuing on today, so we're like Aristotle's fish. Those in that generation, this newer generation. You don't know what it means to be wet because you spent your whole life wet in the water. If you were Satan and you wanted to bring down a life, if you wanted to bring down a culture, if you wanted to destroy a nation, destroy a people, destroy humanity, what would be the central place you'd attack if you were Satan? I think without question, it would be the home, the family. It's the first institution God gave to us. It is out of the family you have the church, first church. It is out of the family you have healing and led to the hospitals. It is out of the family you led to the government where the father has that authority. All forms of government flow from the family. Every major institution in every culture all comes from marriage and the family. So Satan knows if somehow I can destroy marriage. Hey, that will be the best way I can destroy a life, destroy a nation, destroy a world. So that's the point of his attack. And look at some of the weapons that he uses. Hedonism. Oh, we're just caught up with pleasure, are we not? I wonder if you could tell me faster who won the football game Friday night or yesterday than you could find the book of Leviticus. Oh, I could tell you about the ball game, but Leviticus isn't it in the Old Testament somewhere. See, we're so caught up in recreation and pleasure. And for most people, tragically, the ultimate thing is sexual release, sexual pleasure, and that is hedonism. We're in a culture that is consumed with a quest for good times. Let's have a party. Let's go here. Let's do that. Let's celebrate. Boy, let's do hedonism. Bring it down marriage. Adultery. Oh, yeah. Well, I understand that. You're supposed to be faithful to your wife, your bride. I can send you to a lot of psychotherapists in this very area. They will tell you if your marriage is a little flat, what you need to do is to bring in a third party. It'll really, it'll save your marriage. It'll give excitement to that relationship. So adultery more and more is, is being accepted. Oh, living together. Oh, no big deal. I mean, you know, fornication, adultery. Divorce, no-fault divorce. Where did that come from? Ronald Reagan was governor of California. He signed into law. Later on, about 20 years later, he said it was one of the worst things I've ever done because he saw what had happened to the institution of marriage with an easy way out, with no-fault divorce. 
He regretted that decision. Today, look at divorce. You can go to Sarasota, New York and check in a hotel and three days they say, in most of the cases, you could be completely divorced from your mate. So divorcing couples are going to Sarasota, 5,000 bucks, legal counsel, and they say it's sort of healthy. Here's another couple's getting divorced, you're getting divorced, you kind of get together and you know, got a lot in common and the divorce takes place. Just check in, 5,000 bucks, pretty easy. They put this on a sitcom, by the way, because this same company owned another hotel in Holland and it's on television and, and they had great ratings and I understand some of our major networks are saying, well, we may do this right in Sarasota, New York and see real life divorce. Big audience. Hello. Destruction of the marriage, destruction of the home. Abortion. You say, well, I get the first three, but how does abortion affect this? Listen, abortion affects it because of the woman's right to choose. The man is out of it. He's, he's extraneous. And this is the whole function of the state to get the man out of the home and out of the family. And now the woman can choose whether that life will be killed in her womb or not. And the man is not even a factor. Has no choice. Your word is extraneous. You have no responsibility that you want. You're out of it. So abor abortion breaks down the basic institution of the home and the family. And these are, are big things in our culture, are they not? And they're all pointed by the evil one to destroy marriage. But let me tell you, the biggest one of all is one that I never would have figured out. Those four are deadly enough, but this fourth one is it's beyond anything that you would think would would ever be proposed to destroy marriage. You know what that is? That's the redefinition of marriage. Ooh. I mean, marriage has been one man, one woman. Marriage has been that way, the dominant understanding throughout cultures for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Every culture, every continent, thousands of years. That has been the definition of marriage. Now, there have been other relationships, all kind of other sexual involvements, other constellations, but marriage was defined like that since the dawn of history. And you mean <laughs> marriage can be redefined? Boy, that is really strange and weird. Let me tell you something about the debate we're in to legitimize same-sex marriage. 10, 15 years ago, I laughed. I said, let me tell you something. That's one thing you had to worry about. That's never going to be. No, goodness. That's weird. They, you know, the, the gay homosexual lobby, they've overstepped their boundary now. This, this uh, you can't redefine marriage. But let me tell you something about a debate. Let me frame the debate. In other words, the parameters of the debate. Let me define the terms we'll use in that debate. And I can prove to you anything and win every debate. And you could do. The boundaries, the definitions of the words used, 
You'll win every time. Let me introduce you to some words that you may not know. New words. Look at them, if you would. Look at these new words. First one is beta marriage. Couple that has the opportunity to dissolve or formulate a union after a two-year trial period. Beta marriage. Truple. New word. Three people in a relationship to do life together, derived from the same-sex couples who needed another gender to conceive a child with all three wanting to remain active in the child's life. Truple. Divorce party. Debate. Party to celebrate the newly single status of a divorced man or woman. Let's have a party. Conscious uncoupling. Ceremony of announcement recognizing that not all marriage are meant to last forever and both parties deserve to leave whole and intact. Break up moon. The trip the uncoupled couple takes together to ensure goodwill and friendship after the uncoupling. <laughs> Monogamish. One step down from a monogamous relationship. Yes, you start getting monograms or monogamish, you know, and, and that's, well, we're not married or engaged, but at least we're using the same monograms. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Marriage arm. Like the adjustable rate mortgage, this is an adjustable rate marriage. <laughs> At certain intervals, three, seven, 10 year, 15, the marriage terms must be negotiated to be extended. <laughs> Frame the argument, defining the terms. Now, we need to look as to how this same-sex relationship is sold. Do you think that you could stand your own ground in a debate on this question? You say, man, I, most of us would say, I, I don't recognize same-sex marriage. I think it's wrong. I, I, I wouldn't vote for it. Uh, no, no, I'm not for that. And I think I could defend man-to-woman marriage. Well, let's just see. Let's just check that out, would you? Um, you go to a TV talk show, there you are. Sit down at the table, you debated a lesbian woman. She's attractive, winsome, normal as you could see anybody in appearance. The moderator turns to her and said, State your case. She said, I was brought up in a broken home. She said, but I went to work at an early age and worked my way through college. And she said, then I worked my way through graduate school. And she said, then I, I went and joined the military and I fought for America and laid my life on the line for this country. And she said, I came back home and I went to work for a company. And through hard work, I've moved my way through that company. She said, now I'm in an executive position. And she said, I have had a companion for 18 years and, I, and we have been monogamous. She said, we love each other. 
and we get along. And she said, I pay my taxes. I love this nation. And she says, why can't you just let me live out my life and you live out your life? And what does my relationship in any way affect how you live my life? Isn't this a a country where we can decide for ourselves? Now, you've got 30 seconds before a commercial to answer her. How are you doing defending traditional marriage? Hmm? And this isn't the only kind of packaged, perfumed, gift-wrapped situation. Let's look at other selling points that we see how this is used, the strategy used to sell same-sex marriage. First is psychological, very simple. You know, we, we have freedom, we have independence. You know, I'm not fulfilled unless I move this. There's a psychological argument that's given. It's very rational. There, there's a medical argument that is given. In 1973, the uh, American Psychiatric uh, Organization, up to that time, they believed that homosexuality was a mental illness. But after 1973, bang, they said it's no longer a mental illness. Not on the basis of any science. No, 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 on the basis of political pressure. And now what was a mental illness going into this meeting, coming out to oppose it, you were bigoted. You're bigoted. Medical. Political. Let's vote on it. Let's the state. By the way, this hadn't worked very good for the gay lesbian lobby because I think without exception, all the states have voted no, we prefer man for woman, not this new configuration of family. And they have voted usually overwhelmingly all the states when it's got in the political realm. That hasn't worked out too well. But the next area, legal, that's where you have real, real progress. Real progress in this area. And we see what's happening in Texas. Our state legislature passed the Defense of Marriage Act. It was on a ballot, and Texas voted overwhelmingly, 70, 70, something percent, one man, one woman, traditional marriage. But a little while ago, uh, Judge Garcia, a federal judge, just ruled unconstitutional to say a man can't marry a man, a woman can't marry a woman. Well, federal law trumps state law, and now it's in the Fifth Circuit of Appeals. But even if we win there in defining marriage, it'll go to the Supreme Court. And it's amazing to me in the Supreme Court how five individuals, follow me now, five individuals who were not elected but were appointed for life can make decisions that affect America when the overwhelming majority of Americans would not make that decision. How can that be? It's an oligarchy. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. So the legal area, real progress is being made. Educational area, do I have to speak about that? By the way, if you want to see what happens, Massachusetts, 2003, now 2004, same-sex marriage became legal. I want you to go to your website, if you would, and read what has happened in the state of Massachusetts. There it is, 
You can read it. Go look and read it and be prepared. Hold on. You won't believe it. You'll never have to Texas. Ha, ha, ha. You watch and see and live a while if this becomes legal. Read that on your website. I encourage everyone to, it's got a little video, not too well done, but the verbiage there and what is happening there will stagger you. It's not just mutually coexisting. Everybody's going to be fine and beautiful. Education. Cultural, the old culture. Our whole environment is permeated. ABC, NBC, CBS has a lesbian talk show host every day of the week, at least all the weekdays. We're sold every way. The schools are sold. Most amazing thing of all to me, Dr. Barker, particularly, you'd understand this, is the theological part of it. It's just, you know, when you have the mainline denominations, Episcopalians and Methodists, now evidently Presbyterians, they're taking the Bible. They're saying, oh, the Bible doesn't teach that homosexuality is a sin. And they interpret Sodom and Gomorrah, and they say that was a question of hospitality. <laughs> oh, true, true, true. And they take the passage in Romans, and other people say, oh, Paul didn't know anything about sexual orientation, as if sexual orientation was a proven, given scientific fact, and it is not. It is not. I personally think that at the right time, in anybody in this room, in the right time, your sexual orientation could have been confused. Everybody in here. I've talked to gays and lesbians for years, members of my family, good friends, friends of friends, people I've known. And by the way, we have hundreds in our church who have come out of that lifestyle by the grace of God. I'm not telling hundreds, hundreds of them. So don't make no mistake about that. But... Everyone I have talked to who continued that way or moved out of that way always say, well, I was born like this, but there was this moment. There was somebody, a friend, a neighbor, or aunt, somebody who led them into that. It could happen to any one of us here. I firmly believe that. So don't get too pious and too holy. And, well, oh, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. So... The theological aspect of this is the most amazing thing of all. Most amazing thing of all. Now, we go back and we look at, at marriage. And we have a definition of marriage. And we got it in Scripture, but what does all that break down? Marriage is a covenant and it's a celebration. It is a covenant between a man and a wife and God. Covenant. He's that third party. It's a covenant also in the sense it is a symbol of the most sacred covenant that you and I have if I'm in Christ and you're in Christ and we're in Christ with God. It is a symbol of that most dynamic personal relationship any individual can know of that salvation experience. It's also a covenant in that sense, a symbol of it. Also, it's a celebration. It is for pleasure and it's for procreation. It's a celebration of that one flesh, one thought, one intent, and all concerns of this present life. Leave, cleave, one flesh, no shame, beauty of it. So it's a covenant, a celebration, a two-part covenant, a two-part celebration 
It is for pleasure and for procreation. You know, I just can't get over the fact, maybe you're not like I am, that Jobeth and I came together in love and God allowed us to produce three sons with him who were born in the image of God. Man, that is beyond anything I could ever ask for, dream of, or expect. That's the miracle of life. And that's the picture we have here. Now, the homosexual lifestyle is not gay and happy and just a wonderful life. There's another aspect to it. On my desk, I have papers stacked about that high, about that high over here that talk about the medical ramifications of the homosexual life. Any honest physician who practices in any field will tell you the results of this lifestyle, which the human body, God created, is not made for. So you say, well, you know, I, I don't like all this hate speech that you're giving in. I'm not being judgmental. Remember, we, I am a sinner. We are sinners who are speaking to sinners, and they're heterosexual sinners, big time, homosexual sinners, liar, cheats, thieves. No, no, we're not, we're not doing that. That's not where I'm coming from. That's not who we are. But if, let's say, you go to a doctor, the doctor gives you a physical, checks your blood, says there's a little problem here, and so they, they do a scan. They discover a growth. He said, better biopsy that growth. They take and they biopsy that growth, and it's cancer, and the report is put on the desk of the doctor. He sees all this. He sees the cancer from the biopsy, and you sit there waiting, and he says, you're fine. <laughs> you're healthy as you can be. All good reports. Go live your life. Boy, thanks, doc. <laughs> Boy, good news. I'm healthy. Biopsy, no problem. Good news. But you leave, you say, you know, I think I'll get a second opinion. You go to a second doctor, same procedure, same going, and the same diagnosis. Second doctor sees you have cancer. He looks at you and says, you've got cancer. But I've got good news. If you'll proceed with this way and this way and this way, you can be cured. You can be healed. Now, which doctor hated you, really? And which doctor loved you? So when we see people in a lifestyle that's leading over a cliff, what do we do? Say, oh, be careful. I'm not involved. I don't want you to think wrongly of me if I, if I reach out and, and warn you and try to love you all the way back to safety. Or would hatred be if you're going to walk off that cliff, just walk on off, partner. I'm not going to get involved. You're not my keeper. I'm not your keeper. Which is hate? Which is love? So I stand here, hopefully as a lover, for those who are proceeding this lifestyle to say, it's not God's pattern. To say, it's a deadly lifestyle. It's a lonely lifestyle. It's a horrific lifestyle, physically, mentally, emotionally, and certainly spiritually. We can't say, well, it's okay. It's all right. It's no problem. That's hatred. That's not love. You remember, 
Campbell there in the story that happened this past Wednesday when he walked off the cliff. You remember what saved him? A tree. A tree. The same thing that saves you and me, heterosexual, homosexual, is a tree. Jesus Christ died on a cross on that tree so that we might be rescued, so that we might be saved. And that tree saves anybody and everybody who come broken, confessing, repenting, receiving Christ and asking for his salvation and for his healing. So we come. Any way you figure it, not as prejudiced, bigoted, narrow. No, no. We come with tears. We come with tears to all, all those who have fallen victim to the evil that is packaged, perfumed, gift-wrapped, with a ribbon on it and saying, you'll be rescued by the tree upon which Jesus died for you and for me. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Dr. Young is in the studio today to answer an important question before we leave that deals with a very controversial issue for many Christians. Dr. Young, here's the question. How do we welcome homosexuals into our churches without condoning their sexual behavior? First of all, we love the individuals and we hate the sin. God loves us. He hates your sin. He hates my sin. And the whole area of homosexuality We demonstrate our love for them by getting to know them and listening to them and receiving them like we would anyone who's guilty of adultery, anyone who is a thief, anyone who served in prison. The Lord comes and says, you confess your sin and turn from your sin. I'll receive you into my family. You receive Christ. And so that is our message to them. And they say, well, you don't love me because you don't accept my lifestyle. No, We love them because we know their lifestyle is not only wrong before God, but their lifestyle is a debilitating lifestyle that will surely lead to a debilitation of their health. If you have cancer and you go to a doctor and he checks you out and does all the tests and he sees on an x-ray or a scan that you have cancer, and you go back to him waiting for the report, he says, you don't have cancer. You're okay. You're perfectly healthy. And you walk out and you feel great. But you go to another doctor to get a second opinion. He does the same test, the x-ray, the scans, and he says, yes, you have cancer, but there's an answer for it. And here's what I will prescribe for you in treatment, maybe in surgery or radiation. Your oncologist worked with you, and I think you can be totally healthy. Now, which doctor loved the patient? The one who knew the patient had cancer 
and said, you're fine, or the doctor said, you have cancer, but here's healing. And I would say that to anyone who is living in any kind of sin described in the Bible. There's not a hierarchy of sin. I'd say, I love you because I know here's an answer for your healing with that particular sin. So the idea that we don't love those who engage in sin that the Bible points out is not true. It's a demonstration of our love to point out that sin and point them to a way of healing, just like the doctor demonstrated his love by saying, yes, you have cancer, but here is a way you can be whole again. That's how I think we as Christians need to deal with those who engage in this lifestyle that is contrary to biblical truth. We always look to God's Word for the answer, don't we? Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.